HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, third-generation cure masters producing the country's best dry-cured and aged hams, bacon, and sausage. For more information, visit surreyfarms.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Thank you out there for tuning in to the Heritage Radio Network. You are listening to The Farm Report, and I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks. And this week, we are getting ready for Pig Island. Um, Lots of piggy goodness coming to uh, Brooklyn on September 7th. Uh, Definitely check out full details of the event at www.pigisland.com. And we are going to be connecting today with an old friend, um, Mike Yezzi of Flying Pigs Farm. Mike, welcome to the show. Hi, Aaron. Glad to be here. So I heard through the grapevine that you're going to be providing some of the pigs for Pig Island this year, and I wanted to kind of get the lowdown. It's been a while since we've uh, checked in and had you on the show, so I thought we would probably start off with a little bit of background um, for folks who aren't familiar on flying pigs. If you can just give us a little bit of a sense of you know where you're located and um, the size of your operation. Sure. Um, Flying Pigs Farm, um, the farm I I, uh, I run is a pasture-based rare breed uh, pig, meat chicken, and laying hen farm. We're in southern Washington County, about uh, 200 miles from New York City. Uh, we're as north uh, as Saratoga and right on the Vermont line, and been pasture raising rare breed pigs since 2001 since 2000 rather and uh, coming down to the green markets since 2001 um, we we sell at Union Square Friday and Saturday and Grand Army Plaza on Saturday and then also provide pork to a number of restaurants in New York and Brooklyn excellent um, so, well, you know, 
you definitely threw out a lot of words that uh, I think our listeners really like to hear, but I want to go back and tuck in a little bit. Now, you said that you're raising not just uh, heritage pigs, but rare breed heritage pigs. So what's the difference? What, is, what does one mean? What are we getting when we're talking about a rare breed pig? Sure. Um, a heritage breed pig is a pig that was around, say, 150, 200 years ago. Um, some, a lot of them came from, you know, England. Most of the breeds that we raise did the Tamworth, which is a, a reddish pig with straight up ears, or the large black, which is a, an all black pig with floppy ears, with lop ears that cover their eyes. And then there's the Gloucestershire Old Spot, which is sort of a, white, pinkish pig with big black spots, sort of your classic storybook pig. All those were originally from England, and they were imported here in the 1800s and have been around since. Um, and a heritage breed would be distinguished from, say, a commercial hybrid produced by you know, a hog breeding operation, a company that produces pigs for, uh, for the sort of industrial agribusiness world, um, or just a, a, a cross, just sort of a, a mutt, if you will. So we work with these older breeds. Um, we also work with one breed that was is from the United States, the Asaba, um, and these pigs um, were around for 150 years, but so were a lot of the pigs that are used in the... Uh, you know, the confinement operations or in the bigger operations, the Yorkshire, the Duroc, the Berkshire, um, who have been, um, had a little more selective breeding put on them so that they might grow a little faster or be a little meatier or less fatty. Um, ours haven't had any of, uh, any of that sort of selective breeding. So, uh, we say they haven't had all the, the fat and flavor bred out of them. There's still a lot of cover on them. Um, nice marbling. Um, and the rare part is that there's worldwide populations of between two and 5,000 of the breeds that we're raising. So the, the large black, the Asaba, the Gloucestershire Old Spot, there's less than, there's fewer than 2,000, uh, pigs of these and less fewer than 5,000 of the Tamworth. Um, that's according to the American Livestock Breeds Conservancy, who monitors um, rare livestock breeds or monitors uh, livestock breeds in the United States. Um, so we, when we got into, when we bought a farm to keep it from being developed, we wanted to help preserve agriculture by preserving the land, but also wanted to use the land to help preserve um, some of these great breeds. And so we started raising um, the rare breeds and found that it's some really excellent pork. Yeah, I was going to say you're like not not just in it for the, uh, the the challenge and the excitement of procuring and raising rare animals, but also quite quite delicious once it hits the plate. Um, now, one of the other things that I feel like people often ask about pork is 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 it grass fed? And so I just want to clear that up. Um, you know. Why don't we see grass-fed hogs um, around or out on the marketplace? Sure. Um, pigs and, and 
Americans, for that matter, are single-gutted animals like we are. They have one stomach, where cows and sheep are ruminants and they have multiple stomachs. Um, Single-gutted animals um, don't do as well on an all-grass diet as a ruminant does. Um, So it's differences in, in digestion. Um, the the ruminants, the grass ferments in their stomach, and they get a lot of nutrients from that fermentation process, where humans, pigs, and chickens don't have that process, um, so they aren't able to get as much nutrients from an all-grass diet, just like eating um, you know, salad all the time. There's You can um, get all you need if you have if you're able to put together that sort of, you know, be selective to get all the protein and vitamins and everything you need. But um, sort of it's a challenge when you're in a pasture. Furthermore, the the big challenge with pigs is they go from a a two-pound piglet when they're born to a 250- or 300-pound pig in seven months. So in order to get enough calories to sustain that, rate of growth, um, you need a, a high calorie source, and it's hard to do that on grass alone. Um, I think it's impossible to do it on grass alone. You can, you can get a pig to grow on grass alone, but you're not going to get that, you're not going to get it to be 250 pounds in seven months. Um, it's going to take, you know, a couple years if it, if it, if that. Right. Um, and to be clear, no one's really doing that. I mean, no I, one's doing it on any scale. Somebody might have, you know, a few pigs, 5, 10, 20 pigs that they're rotating through um, large paddocks of very good pasture. Um, but, you know, no one's, I don't know of anybody who's raising, you know, 1,000 pigs a year on an all, on an all-grass diet. Right. Um, there, you know, and it's harder in the Northeast. We have a very short growing season. Um, you know, there's there's challenges just for availability. Even if one were to to do an all an all grass. Yeah, I mean, um, what do you do in the winter, right? <laughs> um, well, yeah. So you'd have to hay, but then you know, and then you're feeding them. You're feeding them hay for the winter. Um, but, yeah. So the other thing that I want to just kind of get out of the way is the the, or, the organic conversation, because I think that's another thing that people are being told more and more to ask for uh, in their in their meat choices. But like you're not seeing, men, you know, pasture, you know, pasture-fed, grass-fed, not pasture-fed, but grass-fed pigs, you're also not seeing many organic hogs out there. And I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about, you know, about how, why that is and how you guys kind of made that decision for your farm. Sure. Um, I, I like the organic the organic certification and the ideas behind it, putting less um, chemical and, you know, synthetic you know, product burden on the, uh, on the land we're raising crops is a, is a great thing and a goal that we want to move towards. 
Um, but one of the issues we face is we buy in our feed and we go through about six to ten tons of feed a week. Um, and we go through, we probably buy a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of feed a year. Um, and that's just one of the costs we have um, because we're pastured. It's more land and labor intensive. Now, spring, summer, and fall, we're moving the pigs to fresh paddocks regularly. Um, so there's a lot of costs in there. We have a, a high-priced product uh, because all of our costs are in there. But organic feed would cost you know 50 to 100 percent more. So that would be a, a big increase in our costs, and we're not really able to absorb that. And because we're already a high cost, have a high cost of production, um, we bought land to keep it from being developed. Um, we're pasture based, so we're moving them a lot. So it's a um, and because of that. Um, we're not able to increase our prices to cover that the cost of organic. Um, and then there's also the availability of it. Um, having a, a source that can uh, bring me you know, 6 to 12 tons of organic feed every week um, would be a, an, another challenge. So there's a, a cost issue and availability issue. Um, I think are the main challenges we face from for growing organic. Then there's also, you know, pigs are rooting around outside. They're um, prone to uh, they can get parasites, um, and there are some organic treatments for that. There's they're also prone to pneumonia in wet weather, spring and fall, um, and you know, it, or they can just get sick, and so we treat it. Like, um, you know, my approach to taking care of my kids. If I have an animal that gets sick, I'll treat it with the appropriate medicine until it's healthy, and then I'll stop. And, um, you know, under the organic rules, I wouldn't be able to use um, certain medicines. And then the pig would either have to, might have to use a less effective therapy, or you know not sell sell it off, um, and you know, or have a, a, a non organic you know group. Right. And that that's sort of a, a logistical. Yeah, from a management perspective, a kind of a complication. Well, I think like the best way that I, you know, I feel like you've actually described it to me is like in any population, whether it's a group of school kids or a group of farm animals, you know, at any given point, you're going to have a couple of animals who, you know, aren't feeling so great or who catch something and are, are going to need to to be treated. And so I, I guess operating outside the organic certification process, you definitely have more options. And you know, with regards to treatment, with regards to access to grain, I mean, you're kind of touching on some issues with regards to the broader, um, you know, uh, agricultural infrastructure that exists up in Washington County. And I want to talk a little bit about that after we come back from the break. So 
if you can just hang tight one sec, we're going to take a short break and we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more about the support systems that allow the farm to operate and where it's working well and maybe where there's some opportunity for improvement. So stick with us. You're listening to The Farm Report on the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to Radio Raw by Obesity on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Stay tuned for more from the Farm Report. Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons. Edwards Suriano hams are aged to perfection for no less than 400 days and hickory smoked to achieve a deep mahogany color. The Edwards name is well known for its world-class aged and cured meats. Their exclusive curing and aging recipe produces a unique flavor profile that enhances the quality characteristics of Berkshire pork. Optimum amounts of pure white fat marbling contribute to a flavor that's a delicate, perfect balance between sweet and salty. For more information, visit www.surreyfarms.com. All right. Thanks for tuning in. We are back. You're listening to The Farm Report. I'm on the line with Mike Yezzi of Flying Pigs Farm. So, Mike, I, I want to touch on Washington County, uh, you know, as it relates to, to New York State more broadly. And what are some of the kind of pros and cons of producing in that area? Sure. We're very fortunate to be located where we are. Um, as I said, we're about 200 miles from New York City. We're about the uh, the same distance from Montreal and Boston. We we only really sell in New York City. We do a little mail order across the country, but um, we're, we have a nice central location to uh, some really big markets, um, and there's also um, an advantage we have that all of the agricultural infrastructure is still in place here. There's a, a lot of larger um, dairies, and that helps support the agricultural infrastructure. We still have three or four tractor supplies. We have uh, three or four feed dealers. We have um, a couple auction barns where people can, can get rid of work. They can sell the their animals. Um, so we have, you know, we have the hardware stores and the, you know, you can still get diesel uh, conveniently. So the mix of the larger farms and the smaller farms like, like mine uh, helped keep that infrastructure in place. And that isn't the case. Um, and of course, with livestock, an important thing uh, is veteran, veterinary care. So we still have a, a nice, strong, large animal veterinary practice um, in the next town over. Uh, compare that to Maine, which has one large animal vet in the state. Um, I have a friend who raises beef in New Hampshire, and you know, he 
says, if I want a part for my tractor, I have to go to New York State and get it or wait for it to come from Japan. There just isn't the agricultural infrastructure um, in New England that we're fortunate enough to, to still have. Um, sort of the, the eastern front of, uh, of agriculture. There's plenty of farming that's going on in Vermont. Don't get me wrong, we get our feed from a, a feed dealer in Vermont. But it's not on the scale that um, around here there isn't the density to help support um, the the infrastructure that we have here. So that makes it possible to do what we're doing. Um, and there's a, a number of other local farms that um, are smaller that you know come down to the city. Um, and are able to to take advantage of the the location here. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering, you know, I think often of like, you know, New York State being a a dairy state, you know, milk-producing state, having lots of, um, you know, farms across the state raising cows. What is it like for pigs? I mean, there's not too many people, I think, in the state or in the country who are kind of doing what you guys are doing, and I'm wondering if that's because, like, you know, you didn't know any better or or it's just too difficult or kind of if you're seeing any change in that landscape with regards to uh, pork production? Well, when we started in 2001, there were not a whole lot of people raising, um, small farmers raising pork. Um, the folks who remember the green market back then, there wasn't a whole lot of protein in the market. Um there, there was some, but there, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot, and um, a lot of it was seasonal. People would have two or three or four pigs available in the fall, um, and you know when we came in, we just had fourteen pigs our first year um, when we were at, at Burrow Hall, but that grew to fifty-seven to one hundred and twenty to one hundred and eighty, um, and we'll be pushing a, a thousand pigs. Um, that we're finishing in uh, this year, probably. So we've uh, we've had a lot of growth um, and you know, support from the great customers at the green markets and the chefs that we work with in New York City. Um, a lot of information has been put out by the great publications in New York, New York Magazine, and the the New York Times, um, among others, we've been we've had some favorable press there, but also just you know highlighting the issues of local um, the problems with the industrial you know, meat system, the health problems, the E. coli and listeria outbreaks um, have all brought I think more people to local to um, towards sustainable meats in general, um, brought them to the green markets, and it's helped us. And it's also brought in um, other people raising pork. There's There are more people raising pork and selling it at the green markets at all the markets we do. Um, people who used to sell a little bit are now selling more. Um, it's great. It's, uh, it's good food for the consumers and the restaurant customers in New York. And their food dollars are helping to keep upstate New York green and in agriculture and supporting 
um, their food security um, by keeping keeping the source close. One of the things I'm sure you must have noticed over over your years in business is, uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways to slice a hog. Um, you can make kind of different decisions about um, what cuts, what style of cuts, how much you use to grind for sausage. Um, have you have you noticed any kind of shifting trends in like what people are asking for? I mean, you know, we definitely hear a lot about the rise, you know, a few years ago of, of pork belly and, um, you know, kind of certain off cuts kind of coming to the forefront to, notab- to of notable restaurants throughout the city. But as someone who's kind of dealing, um, you know, on the retail end and also kind of on the hotel, on the wholesale end with chefs, um, have you seen shifts in what people are asking for, what cuts are selling more or less, and any kind of, um, you know, tips for folks out there looking for something a little outside of the norm or something maybe, um, you know, new to try? Sure. Um, well, Ali went through a boom and it's still popular because um, it's so so delicious. Um, but that's also the bacon. So fresh belly or bacon um, is the belly of the pigs, and that's our our bacon is uh, is great and popular. So um, we sell a lot of that. Pork chops, tenderloin. People know what to do with that, and you know that's nice and um, tender and delicious, and people people like that. So then you're left with. And we do some smoked hams. Um, we sell those to um, five of the Jean-Georges restaurants as well as to the farmer's market, and that's well-received. Um, but there are still some other parts, trotters, shanks, um, that, you know, the pork shoulder, the pork butt, um, that people aren't as familiar with. And so we did a lot when we started, a lot of, spent a lot of time familiarizing people with those cuts, um, and braising and the great results you can get, um, from braising. Uh, Peter Hoffman at Savoy was one of the ones who, uh, gave us a lot of advice early on about this, how, how great the shoulders are and that, you know, with some time and, um, you can bring out that richness and, get a, a rich, tender, uh, wonderful meal out of, a, out of an otherwise pretty tough cut. So shoulder and butter are popular for us. But, you know, we, you know, I have some extra ears if anybody's interested. I have plenty of extra trotters. Um, and uh, you know, there are a few cuts like that or even shanks um, that, you know, we can produce more of. Than, uh, than people will buy uh, at the you know at the farmers market, um, but we also have fourteen kinds of sausage. So anything that we're any of the cuts that we're getting a little a little heavy on, um, you know, we can always turn into sausage and uh, and keep that supply going. Excellent. So. Circling back to Pig Island, um, how are we going to be able to find your your pigs um, once we make our way over to to the Pig Island space down in Red Hook? Sure, um, we will be providing about fifteen two hundred to two hundred twenty five pound pigs 
took Pig Island this year. So we're uh, we're very excited about that. And uh, so most of the, I think most of the the chefs there will be using our pork. Um, we're we're glad to be working with Jimmy from Jimmy's Forty Three and Karma Food Projects for putting on the event. Um, there there are going to be a few other uh, farms who will be cooking their own figs, um, but most of the chefs will be using either uh, whole pigs or cuts that we're going to be providing. Awesome. So what about you and, and for you and, and your family? Uh, what's the kind of go-to pork cut for you guys? Um, you know, sausage is always easy. Uh, bacon, you know, Bacon, I think, is my son Charlie's favorite food, um, and Jane likes a, a, a bacon and lettuce sandwich. So bacon's popular, um, and whether it's you know bacon and eggs or just doctoring up some some baked beans, um, and I like I really like the blade roast, which is this little cut that's the transition cut between the the loin and the the front shoulder. Sometimes it's turned into country ribs, but we do a nice little two or three pound skin on um, boneless roast, and I think I think that's a, a great a great cut. Um, you can have some sliced pork for a meal and then turn it into sandwiches or um, tacos uh, for the week. Awesome. Well, Mike, thanks so much for taking some time out. I know Thursdays are a busy day. Great to get uh, a little bit of a recap on the farm, and we'll definitely be looking for you down at Pig Island. Yeah, um, we'll be down there on Saturday. It's going to be uh, in the IKEA parking lot um, from 11:30 to 4:30. Um, beer, cider, um, entertainment. It's a you know family-friendly event. It's going to be it's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to being involved this year. Awesome. And, uh, see you there. Yeah, I'll see you there. Well. Um, thanks so much for tuning in. This has been another episode of The Farm Report. That was Mike Yezzy of Flying Pigs Farm. Definitely check him out at the Union Square Markets on Friday or Saturday. Also, Grand Army Plaza Market on Fridays. You can find out more about the farm by visiting their website, www.flyingpigs.com. Or head on down to Red Hook, uh, September 7th for Pig Island. Uh, to get your tickets, visit www.pigisland.com. There are uh, early bird tickets at a discounted price. Also some uh, early access, early bird that are looking good if you want to get in there ahead of the crowd. 25 different chefs. Like Mike said, tons of great pork, great uh, New York State cider, beer, wine. So, um, you know, pack up the kids, pack up, uh, you know, whatever you need to pack up. Although I guess you don't really need to bring much because it'll all be there. Thanks so much, as always, for tuning into the Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported organization, so if you like what you hear, definitely click that Donate tab and become a member today. Thanks so much for listening, and keep tuned in. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. 
To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Today's program has been brought to you by Consider Bardwell Farm, the first cheese-making co-op in Vermont. For more information, visit www.considerbardwellfarm.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. What's hot at the green market? You're about to find out now. It's the Grow NYC Market Update. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Grow NYC Market Update. We are on the line with Jean of Green Markets. Uh, Jean, where are we uh, heading up to today? Hey, Erin. I thought I would take us over to the West 57th Street Green Market in Hell's Kitchen. It is located right along Bellsley Park on 9th Avenue between West 56th and 57th Street. Um, and it's a Wednesday and Saturday market. It's been in the neighborhood since 1986, so it's pretty well established. Um, and right now, you know, it's back to school season, so sure enough, um, any day now the doors are going to open and the high school students are going to come back to the High School for Environmental Studies, which is right in that neighborhood. It's just a couple blocks from the market. And back in 1992, Mike Zan, who actually runs uh, Grown YC's Environmental Education Program, was one of the co-founders of this school, um, which opened in response to a growing uh, consciousness around environmental issues. So it's great the school is thriving, and it's right by the market. So you will see more high school students in the neighborhood in the coming weeks. Um, but today, in addition to the selection of fresh fruits and vegetables that are available at the market, um, it's a seasonal market, so it's open from about the end of April through the first week, uh, sorry, the, the week before Christmas. The market also offers textile and food scrap collection for recycling every Saturday. So the West 57th Street Market is a really great example just of how uh, a green market can transform open, you know, outdoor space in the city into a neighborhood center of sustainability, and it's been doing that for years. Excellent. Well, what should we be on the lookout for with regards to, you know, farmers or producers? Sure. So, um... You have got Breezy Hill Orchards. Um, they are going to bring in apples and cider donuts. Uh, there's really great stone fruit from Toygo Orchards. There are eggs and fresh pasta from Knollcrest, baked goods from Meredith's Bakery. Uh, on Wednesdays, uh, Central Valley Farm is there bringing in raw milk cheeses from Unardin County, New Jersey. And then on Saturdays, Garden of Spices is there offering uh, pastured eggs, chicken, pork, duck, and um and vegetables. And then the main vegetable producer at this market is Margawich Produce. And uh, they have a really terrific, huge selection of very affordable fresh vegetables grown on their family farm in the Black Dirt region of Orange County. And if you've never met him before, uh, the farmer Joe Margawich is really, he's wonderful. He's um, a terrific farmer, but he's also very committed to the Green Market Program. So he is the chair of our Farmer Consumer Advisory Committee, which is an elected body that meets monthly to discuss the markets and our community of producers and customers. So he uh, kind of heads that up these days. 
Um, and then a little-known fact, lesser-known fact, is that Joe is also a star polka dancer, and um, I've seen him dance before. He's amazing. But every year um, in the town Pine Island, which is in Orange County in the Black Dirt region where his farm is, there's the Pine Island Onion Festival, and it happens to be taking place this Sunday, September 1st. So there will be polka dancing, and word has it you'll be able to see Joe in action. So if you feel like making a little upstate trip, um, I highly recommend it. I've been before, and uh, there's pie, there's beer, there's lots of dancing, and, and neighbors kind of getting together. Oh, man, sounds like a low-risk trip. Yeah, it's a good scene. Uh, well, what else should folks be on the lookout uh, up in the neighborhood? What's good to check out? Yeah, so, I mean, it's close to Times Square. It's close to the Time Warner Center if you want to do some shopping. But my favorite thing to do is it's a great stop before you hit up Central Park. So you can go to the market, get some provisions for a picnic, some bread, cheese, apples, and then head over and get in on that kind of southwest corner and and go and explore the park, which is beautiful in the last days of summer and obviously a really nice place to uh, watch the season change into fall. But I've also often found myself over in that neighborhood. There are a lot of doctor's offices around. There's um, Roosevelt and St. Luke's hospitals are right there. So it's great if you want to, you know you're going to go see your doctor, you can kind of pick up some stuff for dinner either before or after your appointment. So um, it's convenient as well. Awesome. Well, definitely sounds, <laughs> I mean, it sounds like you could have a variety of experiences in the yeah, market. Right. <laughs> <Get it in. laughs> um, what else do you guys have going on? What else should we be keeping our calendar clear for? Sure. Well, of course, this Monday is Labor Day, which is hard to believe, um, but Union Square is going to be open. That's our only Monday market that's open. So if you uh, want to pick up some stuff to grill, some vegetables to make a salad to take to a picnic, definitely stop on by Union Square. All the farmers are going to be there. Um, at 57th Street, if you want to stop by the market I was just talking about, they're having a puppy portrait day on Saturday, September 7th. So you can bring your dog to the market and um, take some cute photos in front of a, a markety backdrop. Um, and then we're having a back-to-school event at Union Square on Monday, September 9th. Uh, so people can definitely come down. There will be kids' cooking demos, giveaways, tips on how to make a healthy school lunch with ingredients from the market. And then moving on a little bit later into September, uh, Sunday, September 15th, there's going to be a salsa competition at Tompkins on that's a Sunday market in the East Village. Um, so if you think you have a really stellar salsa recipe, I highly recommend bringing it and um, showing everybody what you've got. And then we've got a bunch of book signings lined up at Union Square through the fall. Really exciting events. So I encourage everyone to check out uh, either your neighborhood market webpage to figure out what's going on or just take a look at our Green Market Events page and figure out what we're doing all over the city. Awesome. Jean, thank you so much for giving us the update. Thanks. For folks who want to find out more about what's happening, definitely check them out at www.grownyc.org backslash markets. Uh, you can find out all the info there on uh, everything that Jean mentioned, additional cooking demos, book signings, giveaways, um, and get the load on on your neighborhood green market. Also, make sure to check them out on your favorite social media stream. You can find them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, gosh, what else? there's so many. Uh, check them out. Lots of great uh, food picks. And stay tuned in, of course, every Thursday for the market update. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. 
You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.